1: And uh, essentially a holiday that is finally, I believe, getting closer to being recognized. And so it is June 19th, 2020. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia, here with you on the show. Uh, great to be with you, Joe, and certainly to talk uh, sports on this program. Now, I was in a fantastic mood, as you know, yesterday, because I firmly believed that we were very close to an agreement in Major League Baseball. And at the time that we are doing this show this morning, and things could certainly change... It feels like we took a huge step forward only to be told no we didn't. We actually took a step back. I got to tell you this is just super frustrating at this point. I don't know where to go with it. I've been sick of it for a while and <laughs> and now it's it's just it's really just mind-boggling how <laughs> this can just continue on and on and on and and you could have the commissioner of Major League Baseball and the head of the players union meeting for all of this time. We thinking one thing and finding out something completely different. It's just
0: shocking to me. There's an old Bruce Springsteen song, right? One step up and two steps back. That's what, that's what this feels like. It feels like this. My favorite tweet is uh, of Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic. And uh, it just it, this one killed me. She said, this MLB slash MLBPA negotiating process is like driving around town, wasting gas in order to find the gas station that's one cent cheaper. You know, uh, I think that pretty much sums it up. That's all you need to know right now. And I thought, Craig, that the player said, "Just tell us when and where and how many games, and we'll show up." And then they told him, and then they didn't. And I, 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 am. I agree with you. I'm kind of at a loss now because I felt like, okay, I mean, because at the end of the day, where's the difference between sixty and eighty or seventy? Like. I mean, it's well. The mo- well, the mo- obviously, it's all about the money. I, mean, I know, but okay. But uh, let me let me scale it back a little bit because if the difference between sixty games and sixty six games, I don't see how that's breaking either side. Can somebody just give and say okay, and just be done with this? Because when is enough enough? I just don't know.
1: Yeah, I, look, the the latest on this is as follows. It was very evident that the commissioner of Major League Baseball made a mistake saying that there was 100% going to be a season, and then a few days later saying, I can't say that there's 100%. Uh, he did not handle that particularly well.
0: No, he did not.
1: They they also did not uh, handle particularly well the idea that anybody would be on board with a 50-game season, whether it's full pay or prorated or not. That was also poor. All that being said, in the end, all we really wanted is baseball, and all we really want is baseball. So the fact that the owners, to me who have come off horrible throughout this whole thing and i think we would probably up until today have sided <laughs> with the owners would have said okay well you know they gave them 10 extra games and are sort of paying for their errors over the last month and a half two months i firmly believe that that was it like okay I did they, came, they came up to 60 and by the way if there was any counter proposal it would have been along the lines of exactly what you said. What are we talking about here? The players have asked for, for 70, let's do 66 and be done.
0: Right. But but, do? but
1: again, we're playing the public comments on social media again with Rob Manfred commenting uh, yesterday, saying that why did he meet for six hours with Tony Clark to not have an agreement? You have Tony Clark coming out and saying there is no agreement. And yes, while we talked, we, we, we sent a counterproposal. Like, I mean, I thought that meeting... Ended that, and they learned their lesson from that. But but they're still
0: out there talking to the meat, social media. Why? Just why but are I mean, they even talking, or is is it all just leak? I know some of this. They make, no, they make these put out statements. these are statements. No, no, the statements. The statements aside. Yeah. Is Up until statements? this point, there was a lot of leaking going on of this happened and that happened, and right. and that's not helping. But I know you're, you know, you're part of that business, and like that's your job. Like sorry, I,
1: no, I am, but I right. I don't think it's has been good for anyone. So I've kept quiet with the exception of one time two days one ago. One time, and and I was... still
0: stand by what you said. I still think there is going to be a. Season. Oh, I do too.
1: I do. Too. It's, it's just and, why it's just do we annoying. have to do this? Why do we have to do this? Can we just get? And, these statements and three Ugh. statements yesterday, one from Manfred, two from Tony Clark. like why like like just to, to say what? we don't we don't need to hear about what's going on with you guys anymore. And the other thing too, and and again, I don't have a clear understanding of this. So by the time somebody watches this, they'll probably correct
0: me. But why did Rob Manfred leave Arizona? Did he leave? Why? Why, why, why stay until it's done? Go back in the like. like you Unless gotta, he like, thought it was done. If he had the impressions, like, okay, we're gonna go and like maybe okay, he did. The 60 games. Yeah, I
1: have to I have to dig into that because if it's me, I'm putting I'm putting the movie Saw on and I'm locking these guys up on <laughs> the wall and, and saying you wanna play a game, and that's it.
0: <laughs> well, clearly they don't. If they wanted to play a game, they'd be playing a game already. If they really wanted to play a game that bad. I mean, I don't want to take the saw metaphor too much, but they are basically killing baseball right now, and they're killing it slowly, one little hack saw at a time. It's yeah, I
1: mean, of- see, I don't believe any of that, but I but uh, I do, but I it's just annoying. It's it's
0: really it is it's- annoying. It's frustrating, it's sad, it's annoying. The good news is that what did leak out yesterday is also the idea about the DH and how that's, that's good season, and like,
1: expanded postseason Expanded
0: postseason that's good they'll have,
1: they'll have little fan duel things on their jerseys now mm-hmm. yeah that'll be great well do, that's yeah. another
0: thing that like you haven't really gotten into yet is i don't know how i feel about that because
1: oh that's I, coming that's done
0: i oh i hate that i do i hate it in soccer teams like i hate that you yeah, have so
1: much money team. though oh i my.
0: understand but i hate that you look at a soccer team and it's like jeep Or it's, you know, like, you know, you look at, especially like the Italian soccer, they so it's just like, it's right there in the middle. Like you don't even know, you think that that's the name of the team. It's not. Listen, it's it's a car company. Buddy, you're
1: going to be you'll be wearing a Fanduel shirt very soon.
0: That's fine. Yeah. Uh, if I'm getting uh, Look, that's fine. I am low man. But on there's the no but,
1: there, but but it's not about I'm not saying it's about I've re-
0: And for and for the, for the record, I've already worn one. I used and to so I.
1: And stores. so have I. And so
0: have I. And so I. And so did like, I. I, but that is but that they is the point. It's a,
1: it's a form, it's a form of awareness, <laughs> it's a form of advertising, and it's a form of product placement, and it's really smart. And it's it's an opportunity, by the way if you think about it, for an advertiser to be a part of something that has never been done before in Major League Baseball. So, I mean, the most money you could ever spend in baseball is to do what? Essentially, you'd have to find a building that doesn't have a, a team uh, name on it and buy the rights to the name, the naming rights of so the building. Well,
0: back in them. the day of baseball, in the old days, you had all the, the wall was the advertisements. Remember all the walls it were... It still
1: is. It still is, like, right above it. Uh, but, right but, like, above The primary thing small.
0: is... No, But the actual physical wall itself back in the day was the actual places and businesses and things like that. Okay. I'm talking went back into the 30s and 40s of baseball, so that that changed and evolved over time. But like, if you're going to make these things like NASCAR uniform, like, I mean, let's I don't know, man. I don't but think you I know, can...
1: well, you know how it starts. It's so, we're only going to do one, then it becomes... we're going to do
0: one. Well, we're only going to do two. Well, we're going to do one on the sleeve, I, I, I understand. And one on the sock, and then the other thing. And then, what happens when there's a sponsor on the uniform and then a guy writes something on a cleat? And then next thing you know, that everyone's up at arms about something. Guy, uh, and then the sponsor pulls out. Oh my goodness! I don't think I, I don't think I can do this today, Craig. I just don't think I have it in me. <laughs> so, the,
1: so the union wants seventy games. Uh, the owners have, have proposed that's when you 60, go, okay, sixty games. You want
0: sixty? You want seventy? Let's play sixty-six. All right, I'll see you on June, uh, July seventeenth. Why? Why can't we do I, this?
1: I think the players are just so burned from the past, man. I think that's what's going on. They're just so burned from getting worked over. And you know, something something must have happened when these guys made an agreement in March that's just not sitting well with the players union. Like we'll never know for sure. And supposedly there's yeah, and but you a, know what's
0: difficult? Like I feel like the football player looks at this and goes, hey man, all your money's guaranteed. What are you worried about? Like that's that's the one thing about baseball money that's different than a lot of other sports. That guaranteed contract is is some serious stuff. Football's not all guaranteed. You know? Yeah, but
1: but if but I I suppose part of it too is that if the baseball season has to stop then they they would have taken a risk for nothing. Like just playing. I
0: understand that, but like at some point in time we're going to have to take a like this this is not going to be our future. We are not going to live in a world where no one ever goes outside and plays a baseball game again. It's our temporary now. This is our present. So at some point in time everyone's going to have to try. Now whether this try is successful, I don't know. Maybe it's a second try, or the third try, maybe it's next year. I don't know what. That's going to be. But at some point, I think you have to look at it and say, when is the landscape ready to safely try? And it's going to happen eventually. And when it does, you put your best foot forward and you try. And then if it fails, you step back and say, hey, it failed. You know what? At least we tried. But they can't even say at least we tried right now still. Ugh. Not yet. <laughs> Not as of right now.
1: I just, I, I, just <laughs> I just can't believe that this continues to go on.
0: Boy, I feel like I would have been
1: I would have been wrong every step of the way on this one.
0: I feel bad for you because I feel like yesterday they really built you up. I feel like oh they, for sure I feel like I, they I built you. That up. That I they made you feel good about it. they dusted you off. They there said, were reports
1: Craig, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, saying a deal was done.
0: There were reports yesterday saying a deal was done. They basically said, "Craig, we're going to take you outside. We're going to get you a nice, uh, nice uh, hoagie from your favorite place. We're going to get you a haircut." Oh. Love Everything's, I know, I, like all your favorite things, you're going to get to do a story. <laughs> you're going to get to do a Florida man story. You're going to get to, uh, you know, see Antonio Brown in the neighborhood. You're going to get to all the all of Craig's favorite things to do. And then they said, no. And then they put you back in your hole and said, no, go back and do birthdays. For the next six months. That's what you're doing, Mitch. You're going to do birthdays with Joe Bezapey. You,
1: you know, <laughs> I have a feeling, Joe, this is going to get done by the weekend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, like every everyone has thrown that
1: door. Like look on Twitter. everyone. I have a feeling by. Sources like, tell me.
0: Wouldn't it be great My if we Sunday. did it right before the... It'll be done by the draft. The Fly soft the draft. The draft. How father's would it be had a draft without a season? You Father. had a draft without
1: a nice? season. That's a good one, too. Wouldn't it be nice on Father's Day for all the fathers out there if they announced it? Like, we could hey, just dads, come up with all of this BS and it doesn't matter.
0: Hey, dads, guess what? You get baseball back. Doesn't that make you feel good? Why don't you go out there and run the flag up the pole and light a firework? Because baseball's coming back. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Oh, wait. Uh, That's a... Uh, July 4th, what's more America than baseball? We'll definitely have a season by July 4th An agreement will be in place. It's just, it's hysterical. It's, it is honestly, I wish there should be like a dramatic, uh, I don't know, sort of playing of all of these things back and forth, like it's just like to finally do them all at one time because this last two months have just, it's comical at this point, it really is. Like I've, I'm past being mad about it. I'm past being mad. I was frustrated, I was upset. Then I was sad and now I'm over. It. Now it's just funny. Because I do think at the end of the day, one thing always wins and it's greed. Greed always wins. Every single time.
1: The good news is That's the good it ha- news. And the good news is is this has to come to an end. And agreed yeah, will win. And will I don't win. even need to give you a date of Monday or Saturday or Sunday, or whatever, because you know that this is coming to an end one way or the other very soon. And I am happy for it one way.
0: <laughs> it's whatever the week. Gray Albright can't do this show on a Friday.
1: That's true. He's going to have to cancel the <laughs> will be on with us coming up a little bit later in the show. Also, Mike Taglier will be on the show talking some fantasy football. We're going to break down a couple of teams in the NFL. The Atlanta Falcons and the Chicago Bears will go over their possibilities potentially to make the playoffs in 2020. But, of course, coming up next, it's time for us to dive in to this day in fantasy sports and people who are celebrating a birthday in fantasy sports today. So that's coming up next right here on SportsGrid. Also, don't forget, our shows are now live. A lot of the shows that you have been watching, believe it or not, some of them were pre-recorded. but the morning after, live every single day, uh, Scott Farrell, Coast to Coast, In Game Live make sure you catch all those shows in the morning I gotta tell you, for those of you who don't have Roku, you know what? You, you have your own choice, but download that Roku app folks, we have our own channel there on Sports Grid, you can watch our channel it's nice, it's free, it's clear and we give you great sports or as much sports as we can give you during this time we'll be back with uh, This Day in Fantasy Sports and our birthdays right after this And welcome back. It is June 19th. It's time for This Day in Fantasy Sports History and our Fantasy Sports Birthdays. So we're going to get to all of them today here on the show. We got a nice list of birthdays and things that happen in professional sports, Joe. So we'll close out the week in style with another round of This Day in Sports and Fantasy Sports Birthdays. Let's get right to it.
0: That's right. It's a birthday show. Let's get those cards fired up. By the way, what do you think of those cards when you open them, you get the music? You like those? You don't like those? How do you feel about them? I'm fine with it either way. You're Either fine way. with it, you know? I, when, yeah. when you have little I, kids, they walk around I, opening open exactly, yeah. the Oh,
1: over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Fair
0: <laughs> point. Just saying, like, that's the plus and minus. Is if you get, like, one of the kids the one of on the cards and they just walk around the whole time with jingle bells just all day. Just jingle bells, jingle bells. That's one of the pitfalls of small children in those cards. Just as an FYI for you new parents out there, tell the grandparents now, don't buy these cards, okay? When they're older, it's fine. <laughs> okay, they shut it and it moves on. But uh, as we move on here with all of these fantasy sports birthdays and great moments in history, I like Love history. history. Love is
1: it. great. Let's, let's do it. All right, so June 19th, we'll start off. We didn't go that far back today. We're starting uh, really stuff over the last 30 years. 1992, Evander Holyfield becomes the heavyweight champion of the world in boxing. He defeats Larry Holmes and goes on to fight for really uh, two strong decades, I would say, of being a heavyweight champion on and off. Uh, Holyfield... He could knock you out. He could go the distance. I, I felt like, you know, punching his head is like punching cement. Like, he just never seemed to be phased. He'd lose fights, but you couldn't knock him down, like, ever. And, um, and look, and, and when it's all said and done, he's a Hall of Famer and a guy that's going to be looked at as one of the greatest heavyweight fighters of all time,
0: for sure. Yeah, I actually saw a Vander Holyfield fight for the first time, I think, I want to say within his first ten fights of his career. Uh, again, my grandfather and I watched a ton of boxing, so we would watch these guys as they were coming up. And I remember him telling me he said, This guy right here, he's like, I never heard of this guy, but this guy, he's gonna be champ someday. And he was right. And he just knew it because same thing you said, that just he had the power to knock people out, but he was such a good boxer and he just had the seems like he had such a high threshold for pain as well. He could take he a a beating as well which is you know something a lot of even the great heavyweights couldn't do you know so, some you know were great punchers and things like that but you hit them sometimes it goes straight down you look at you know some guys like sphinx and some other ones like that over the years but vander holyfield man was just majestic that's the best word to describe him as a champion i wish i wish he had tyson prime tyson who was focused to be that rival because it would have been great for this board of boxing but unfortunately the two of them were almost ships passing in the night
1: yeah, but at the time, Tyson was a heavy favorite in that first fight when he was fighting against Holyfield. People didn't know that Tyson was, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like Holyfield passed him up in that first fight because everyone thought that he was going to win. And by the way, uh, you know, in terms of other guys like that, it's, it's, a, it's a fair point. Look, Lennox Lewis probably goes down as just a good a boxer, if not better than Holyfield. But look, that guy took a shot from Hasim Rahman and was on the turf. Sure did. He, he was on the ground, so um, Holyfield, he just very rarely saw that happen, too, and I think that's one of those things that made him uh, great, his fights weren't always that exciting because they were going the distance a lot, mm-hmm. but he was really tough to knock down, for sure, so in agreement there. All right, uh, 2000, the Los Angeles Lakers win the NBA championship, 4-2 to over the Indiana Pacers, the poor Pacers, couldn't get past the Bulls, couldn't get past the Lakers, Uh, You know, all kinds of trouble, whether it was the East Finals or was the West Finals. It's like the one thing that Reggie Miller never accomplished over the course of his career was winning that championship, but not for the lack of
0: trying. I mean,
1: they had really good teams. They just ran into juggernauts, both the Bulls and Lakers.
0: I don't think there's ever been an era in the NBA or any other sport, really, where you had so much great talent to not win a title. You know, when you ran it against that the Jordan era basketball, the Patrick Ewings of the world, the Carl Malone's of the world, the Reggie Mills of the world. You can go on and on and on with some of these names. And the ones that did win we were talking about, oh, it's Gary Payton at the very end, or it's it's this guy latching on with another team at the very end, and it's it's none of them really doing in their prime, save Olajuwon, and it's just a stunning thing to look at. Charles Barkley, you could put him in that category too. You basically look at the dream team and go, man, it would have been nice if some of these guys could have won a championship, but some of the greatest players in basketball history did not get one because of the dominance of one team in a decade, and it's just staggering to think about. And, and in a way, I feel bad for them, but in a way, I think it's also such a – Just golden age for the NBA, and I guess that's why I kind of struggle with today's NBA. But I'm looking forward to NBA basketball. I'm gonna look forward to something, Craig. I promise you, I'll be positive.
1: All right. Well, I hope so. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the Lakers. The Lakers basically. And look, they had a second run without Shaquille O'Neal. But Mm -hmm. when you have the most dominant player in the NBA and arguably the best player in the NBA leave a team and go to another, I mean, it's it was as big or bigger than LeBron leaving Cleveland. It's just we didn't have social media and there wasn't a whole show about it. But essentially, uh, Shaq made the decision. Um, he looks at it now and says there was miscommunication and looking back on it, uh, he doesn't regret it, but he certainly regrets the whole thing that it went down. He made his home in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a piece of him that, that sort of was like, you know, not completely understanding as to what happened with the Magic. And uh, and by the way, when Penny was uh, was on the Dream Team, and I'm not sure where Shaq was at that time, but when Penny was working out over the Dream Team, it was funny. They did an interview, and they asked Penny Hardaway, hey, how do you feel about Shaq, uh, you know, going to the Lakers? And Penny is like, well, you know, Shaq, and Penny didn't know because it hadn't been announced. And he's like, well, you know, it's it's a really, and you can see the interview now. It's like, well, it's, you know, he's got a real tough decision to make, you know, Los Angeles. And, you know, we're, we're still hopeful that he's going to stay in Orlando. And the reporter's like, no, 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 he signed with the Lakers. He like,
0: <laughs> he's like, oh. Oh. Like you see well, Well, this is like awkward, those, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, like a great TV moment where it wasn't, you didn't have an iPhone at the time to be able to respond to that. But yeah, the Lakers. Well, you know what's had even
0: a- worse than that? Like, I hear some of these players sometimes, even nowadays, with the technology they have, like sometimes they'll find out from the crawl on ESPN or something or from the oh, crawl it all MVP. the time. And I just think it's such a look, you know, there's a business of sports, but at a certain point, like, can't somebody from an organization go reach out to that player first?
1: Listen, the uh, the Marlins uh, they made a trade last year. They traded um, Nick Anderson mm-hmm. and, Tre- and Trevor Richards to Tampa Bay, and in return, the Marlins got back Jesus Sanchez. He's an outfield prospect, yeah. probably. I mean, you've you've heard of him, but yeah. not a lot uh-huh. of people have. Let's be let's be real. No. And I what happened was, and what happened was that was the deal that the teams had sort of agreed upon. It kind of reminds me of this baseball stuff. I don't, I don't even want to say agreed upon. That was the deal that was discussed. And with three minutes before the deadline, Tampa, uh, Miami said, no, we're not doing it. And the only way that we're going to do it is if you throw in this reliever, Ryan Stanek, right? right. Who was hurt at the time. Uh-huh. And, and uh, the Rays said no. And they hung up the phone. And like a minute before the deadline, they called the Marlins back. They made the deal. Ryan Stanek got traded and he found out from me
0: now <laughs> oh, again awkward and how did he take it from you hey well, ryan I-, I didn't talk hey, to him
1: but he, he saw me tweet it out and he's like oh man i got traded
0: oh i that's thought he, like, you found out from you like you texted him like at least that would have been the brad Z- brad
1: Ziegler got frowned i texted him that he got traded that's, that's <laughs> him i him i uh he he will tell you um that i did tell him he got traded oh, yeah I, that, I just, I, I,
0: look that's a weird scenario The deadline, a minute to go, like that I can almost forgive. But you and I both know it happens way too often where I mean, treat these guys like employees and people, you know, hey, it's like, look, we love to have any part of the organization. We saw an opportunity. We're going to go take it. And if you can't, you know, if you have the guts to do that, I mean, it says a lot about you as a. As somebody who works in you know, in the ownership or the organizational end of baseball, it's crappy, or, or any sport for that matter. I don't like it.
1: The the, uh, the ESPN crawl was more 2005 than 2020, by the way. Like now, sure. it, now it's a Twitter,
0: everybody. Well, you know what I mean. The crawl, the Twitter thing, you find out, however you find out. I mean, the Twitter's so instant, now that's the danger. And, and sometimes guys the think they get traded, and they don't on Twitter. Like, you almost don't even want to believe Twitter if you get traded or not. It, well, yeah. you, you got to watch out for the fakes there, too. By man. the way, I'm the player to be named later. In fantasy sports today, that's how I showed up here on the show.
1: Well, you come back and forth, yeah.
0: sports critic. Yeah, sports critical. You're court. like a
1: rule. You're like a rule five guy. We <laughs> trade you and then we send you back.
0: Oh, just I can't. can't keep me out of the organization, my friend. I'm gonna get my pension when all's said and done somehow. <laughs>
1: yeah, good luck. 2011, Rory McElroy wins the U.S. Open and he fires a 16 under par, which is a record at the uh, at the U.S. Open. So worth noting today. Uh, 2015, this was a very big home run at the time. Uh, Alex Rodriguez hits a home run for his 3000th hit. And if you'll remember correctly, there was this big controversy over the ball at the time, as there always is. This is what sort of brought Zach Hample uh, into the forefront as the ball hawk and the guy who catches all the baseballs. I have no problem with Zach at all. I know him. Uh, Some people think that, you know, whatever I, a story for another day, regardless of that, uh, hitting a home run for your 3000s is pretty cool. Wade Boggs yeah. did it, if I'm not mistaken. He uh he hit 3000. Uh Jeter did it too, didn't he? Off David Price, right? Didn't uh you? yeah,
0: I believe he did. Yes. And, and you know, it's the only game where you get that magical moment for the most part and it goes into the crowd. You know, somebody throws a touchdown pass, breaks a record, or whatever it is. Oh, you got the ball right away. Same thing with a pocket Wayne Gretzky. Not so much a baseball. You hit that special home run. It's out there in the crowd. <laughs> For the most part. So there's
1: and I've made it it clear on every show that I've ever done. So I'll do it on this show (laughs) because I don't know that we've talked about it. You never give the ball back. Never. (laughs) Never. No class. Never say this is your ball, sir, and here it is. No, you paid for the ticket. You caught the ball. Get the highest amount of money or whatever you can for it. It's your ball. You don't owe that to anyone. I oh, what? It. Because he, you showed up at the game. Oh, it's his ball? Because he really worked so hard to get it. He worked so hard. He's making twenty million dollars. He could give you more than a bat and a signed ball. Yeah, Trust
0: me. <laughs> I, like it. It. I like. I like this side of Craig Mills. Get the great. money.
1: Get your money. You paid. paid. Do it. 2016. Cleveland Cavaliers win their NBA title, and this and the uh, and and obviously Ohio goes nuts. Cleveland goes nuts. A great moment for them. LeBron comes home, and shockingly, uh, in probably the biggest. Maybe NBA Finals upset of all time. They end up beating the Golden State, where nobody gave them a chance. That That was a
0: great series too. That was the last series that I watched every single game of, uh, in quite some time. Nothing has
1: happened since then, so that's good. (laughs) Practically. (laughs) All right, we're running out of time. This day in fantasy sports uh, birthdays for June the nineteenth. Luke Erig passed away many years ago, of course, but I thought it was worth mentioning his birthday today. Uh, Patrick Sertan, born in nineteen seventy six. Dirk Nowitzki. A uh, future Hall of Famer very soon, 1978, Jacob deGrom, Cy Young Award winner in 88, and Xavier Rhodes, who is uh, coming off an interesting year, uh, nonetheless, with the Minnesota Vikings. We'll see how he performs uh, in 2020 Uh, Garrick, Sertan, Nowitzki, DeGrom, and Rhodes. You could take any one of these you want.
0: (laughs) Well, Xavier Rhodes has got a new destination now, so (laughs) he's not gonna always he's a place for the Vikings. Uh, But uh, Jacob DeGrom, man, uh, I remember watching Jacob DeGrom pitch, oh, so many year ago. Ah, those were the times when guys were throwing pitches and baseball was happening. Those are the good old days, but I love DeGrom. DeGrom has always been my favorite of those guys. It was Harvey and Syndergaard and DeGrom, and I just always liked DeGrom. I thought he was the steadiest. I always felt the best about him when they all first kind of came up in that same thing. And I like Syndergaard the most as a character. <laughs> I just think he's really entertaining and cool. But in terms of, like, even three years ago, if you asked me who do I want in the pitching staff, it was always going to be DeGrom on a fantasy rotation there. So uh, I, it's very incredible. Another great story of a guy who converted full-time to pitcher who was, I believe, playing shortstop as well in college, if memory serves. So there you go. It's never too late to learn new tricks.
1: Yeah, and and a story that shows you that no matter how much we scout, no matter how much we draft, mm-hmm. No matter how much we play fantasy baseball, there are always going to be players that none of us have a clue are going to do what they can do. And he is number one on that list in terms of pitchers. Not a single person knew this guy's name, Uh, had Tommy John surgery, not even a prospect, and then become—
0: Ninth-round draft pick, I believe. Arguably
1: one of the best pitchers in the NL. So it just goes to show you you never know. And in sports in general, you never know. And he's one of those examples. All right, coming up next, you never know about some late-round targets in fantasy football— Uh, Joe and I will dive into those when we come back next in this Friday edition of the show. Don't go away.
2: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
0: sports grid get on the grid
1: and welcome back we're going to dive into a little fantasy football discussion of course uh, the world is sort of upside down right now there are, you know reports about potentially the NFL having trouble getting their games played this season i mean really who knows but at the very least we have to start preparing for Uh, Potentially a season that will happen, or maybe even not. Who knows? But uh, for the time being, we are diving into some fantasy football discussion, and we've been talking about some potential early and late-round draft targets in fantasy for those of you who are doing the best ball format. And as always, I know that this could be the first time you're watching this show. Maybe it's the first time you've ever even thought of playing fantasy. Take it for granted so often that people understand these terminologies and these things that we talk about. This best ball is essentially you joining a fantasy football league where you draft an entire team- And then you're done and there's no moves and there's no ads, there's no drops, there's no trades. And for some people, it makes it a little bit easier. I would say for those people, it's probably lazy because fantasy football is easy. All you got to do is make moves once a week and put your lineup in on Sunday. But that's just me. All right, Joe.
0: Let's you're talk. You're fired about- up today. I love it. This is great. You are. This is not the same Craig Mish from yesterday. I mean, be-
1: I mean, who does the best ball? You got to be like so desperate. Like, why? I mean, you can make moves. Like, why? It shouldn't be best ball. It should be draft a team now for ten bucks if you want, and then make moves during the season. What is this? It? Is it's, is it's so difficult. Up. Oh, it's for Wednesday. It's so difficult. Oh, oh whoa. Whoa. Who-, <laughs> who? am I going to pick up? What do I do? Oh my gosh. Wow. I have to take one minute to hit to hit the button.
0: Oh, uh, I got Kyle ball. Allen. Awesome. Oh, you're you're not wrong. But I think also what best ball is, is a lot of people also uh, who want to basically do mock drafts, but have a little money on them, because that's kind of what it is in a lot that's of ways. That's
1: exactly what that is. That's so a little put term right there. So
0: I, I will let you use that. Just you know give, give me the little you know side credit on, once in a while on it. But I think that's basically what it is. And people are doing all these mocks anyway, and they figure, well, hell, I really like my skills as a drafter. I'm going to put my skills as a drafter against other people. So really it's more of a draft competition than it is anything else. It's your knowledge of the pool. And it's got a lot of wagering aspects in it too, because if you are looking to say, you know what, I really think this situation is going to work out. Go ahead and put 10 bucks on that or a hundred bucks on a, on a best ball league. and, And you're going to do that with that team. And I think it's as people who are really into fantasy football this time of year are looking to kind of ramp up and get ready for draft season in July and August. This is a way for them to do it and have it not be meaningless completely. So it's not a it's not a bad thing, but you know, everybody likes their action, everybody has different ways, <clears throat> and all the people who play best ball absolutely are managing their teams as well. And they have lots of in-season teams, but these are some guys. Uh, yesterday I talked uh, a little bit about some of the guys in the AFC East, some of those names that can help you kind of later in drafts that you have to target and understand for redraft. And I'm trying to give a couple guys on every team that I think at least have some opportunities. Some teams are harder than others, but let's talk about them anyway. And let's start with the Cowboys. Now, if you're in one of those tight end premium leagues or those Scott Fishbowl type leagues where you're playing multiple tight ends or tight ends get a point for per for a first down, like you're starting to see some wacky scoring kind down. of. First uh, down, I've never. Oh, seen that. point per first down. Da- oh, welcome, really? welcome. All kinds of crazy things are happening. Who has that in the league? <laughs> Scott Fishbowl. <laughs> you get a point for a first down? Uh, for a tight end, yeah.
1: Oh, for a tight end. Well, I mean, I guess you're, you're trying to build up the value exactly. of tight end. But, if, right, a, there's, again, but, these but th- if a guy catches one ball for
0: two yards, it's the first <laughs> down to get a point. <laughs> hey, really? look, we're talking tight end premium leagues. Again, that's what this is all about. This so is,
1: they, they may as well,
0: yeah. I mean, Yeah, I, are, I hate them. I played in a couple. I've done okay in them for the most part. But still, it's not – I don't like – it's like the two-catcher league. Just because it's not good doesn't mean you should make me yeah, play but, more. but
1: every every catcher home run in a points league isn't worth 10 points. It's <laughs> yeah, worth
0: 10 points. No, but it should be. <laughs> but then, how about, how about anyway. just the game played? Can we get a point for a game played from a catcher, for God's sakes? But anyway, uh, Jarwin's a guy that when you're looking at it, it's, it's the possible targets that are available to him in this offense. Um, one thing that Dak Prescott has shown his entire career is he's always had a fondness for Jason Witten. Now we're going to find out was that a fondness for throwing the ball to tight end or fondness for throwing the ball to Jason Witten, and they had a good rapport and timing together. And Jarwin showed you some moments last year where you think, okay, there might be something to do. Again, this is a tight end premium situation, but a guy that can help you as a second or even third tight end on your roster. And the other guy from the Cowboys is CeeDee Lamb, who's going as late as round 10, which I kind of found surprising because there's a lot of names going in rounds eight and nine that I can't make as good of a case of upside. And I understand he's a rookie. I get that. But I still think you go and you look at what Randall Cobb had over eight hundred receiving yards last year, and there's no reason to think that Lamb can't come close to that. And Gallup and Cooper and Elliott were all going to eat too. So those are two names of the Cowboys that I think should be targeted late in drafts because I think there's some upside depending on what format you're playing.
1: Yeah, I agree with Lamb. I don't agree with Jarwin. I, I, I there's a couple of reasons why. The first reason mm-hmm. is is that if Jarwin was was someone that the Cowboys really coveted and thought that he could take that next step, I don't think they would have brought Witten in last year. And even in, and then if you would have looked at it and started the season and said, okay, well, maybe that is the case, then Witten really didn't do much all last year. And And I didn't think that Jarwin took that next step. So, look, he has really essentially no one blocking him this time around, and there's almost right. no excuse. I can understand in a late-round shot.
0: But you can't convince me that he's a tight end one. Oh, anyway. oh uh, and nor am I trying to. This is again, he's undrafted in most leagues. I make that I'm caveat. A little, I'm a little like I'm a little worried about him. Like I, I don't know. I, I don't feel that. like he I, took I, that next like, right, he had that opportunity even with Witten there, he didn't Right. But let's let's just do the simple math. If you in one of these leagues where you have to play two tight ends. Oh, right? yeah.
1: Forget it. Got it. Then
0: Jarwin is a guy who certainly comes within the top 24. You cannot
1: find 24 good tight ends.
0: Exactly, yeah. my point. And, and these leagues do exist. Moving on to the next team here, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Jalen Rhaegar is going at round number 10, uh, 12 right now, excuse me. Um, again, even later, two rounds later than CeeDee Lamb. I'm looking at him, and the more that I start to look at the situation, you know the less and less confident I am in Deshaun Jackson, obviously to stay healthy, and God knows as much as we love the notion what? of a healthy Alshon Jeffrey. You were confident.
1: When were no, you confident? No,
0: I mean I'm not less at all. I said less. You should have been saying, at one. The, now you're down no, to zero. I always like to get to a point with guys where I'm like, all right, let's 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 look at a fresh board and let's give everybody the benefit let's of the doubt,
1: but you can't. Todd, Todd Gurley is a hundred percent. Is ninety nine point nine percent finished? Deshaun Jackson's 100%.
0: Okay, well, you know who else is, too? I think Alshon Jeffrey is, which means somebody has to catch the football here in this offense. So just from a, a sheer volume point of view, I think a 12th-round grade on, on Regars really good, and I think that's somebody that you could take that is going to at least, at the very least, fill some bye-week wide receiver spots for you. You might even like him on some certain weeks as a flex play as well, so I think that's a name to keep in mind. And Dallas Goddard is going in round 11. Again, this is another guy... It gets a fair amount of volume because the wide receiving core is not very good. And when you're looking at that and you're also looking year over year, what Zach Ertz did or should I say didn't do a lot of that's because Goddard was really catching the ball and defenses have really honed in on Zach Ertz and trying to stop him more. And should there be an injury to Zach Ertz, Goddard all of a sudden gets an even huger uptick in terms of volume, potentially in target volume. So that's something to keep in mind again, round 11. It's not a terrible look, especially in those tight end premium situations. Or if you miss out on tight end and there's guys you're like, ah, oh, you know what? I need to take a couple dart throws. Goddard's not the worst one in the world, even though Zach Ertz is already there, because it's not a regular tight end kind of situation. They do run a lot of two tight end sets.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that that will, will come down this year. I, I don't know that they will as much with the addition of Rager. And, and listen, I, I think he'll be a superstar in the NFL. I don't know if it's going to be this year or next uh, I'll have him on a, almost every one of my teams cuz I just want to make sure that I take that chance and at this price it's it's worth taking a shot on but uh, he was a star at TCU mm-hmm. and and 2 years ago was the most unstoppable wide receiver in college football I mean he I mean he just it, it, it was amazing it was amazing I keep throwing the stat out I've just never seen before that he scored a team's uh, eight touchdowns in a row like he him running <laughs> yeah. receiving oh, I running yeah, receiving, I, I mean and you look, you, you, have, you to, have to be a lot better than the average guy to be able to do that. So Agree. And I I'm, think I'm depending
0: going. on how your league scores all-purpose yardage too, if there's return yards and other things like to that, be
1: involved in that. And
0: yard. that's what I want people yeah. to understand is if you have one of those leagues that has that weird wacky scoring uh, niche in there. This is a guy that can help you out there, too, almost the way Josh Cribs used to help you and some other guys like that, or Devin Hester of the world. Wasn't the greatest wide receiver in the world, Hester, but if you had those He's returns...
1: Better. He's a better receiver. I think punt returns. Exactly. I don't think I don't think kickoff returns, but I think punt
0: returns. Oh, the well. punt return. exactly. So um, going next to the Giants here, all three of these wide receivers I thought were pretty good late-round values here. And I know last year, uh, during football season on the radio, you and I talked a lot about these guys, but Darius Slayton caught a lot of touchdowns last year as a rookie. He really looked to have a good rapport with Daniel Jones Sterling Shepard, uh, also I think a very solid receiver also going both these guys in round nine and they got Golden Tate in round 11 and I'm looking at all three of these guys and I'm saying you know what I'll be happy to take one or maybe even two of these guys because I do think that they're gonna be able to run the football more effectively than people realize and on top of that. It's very difficult when you can run three quality wide receivers out. Somebody's going to be open. And yes, it's going to be hard to gauge whose day is going to be. But I think this is where DFS knowledge comes into play. You start understanding uh, DVOA. You start understanding, you know, what cornerbacks are playing who and where some of those guys might have an advantage. And if you have more than one, you play the guy that's got a good matchup advantage that week because I think you can make some money with three guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're higher on these guys than I am. But, look, I misfired on this last year. You were, I was making fun of you on about Golden Tate for, like, you kept mentioning him, I remember, on our show last year. I'm like, he's, <laughs> done, right. he's done, he's done, he's done. He came back, he actually played all right. You, That was one that you did get. That's
0: the one. That That's I, it. That, that, That's the only I, thing I've that ever was awful.
1: Here, right? That was the only one, but that oh, was the one last year. I appreciate that. Well, ah, look, that
0: I, I have to do one for this next team, and it's tough. So I I, I just I'm trying the my Preskins?
1: best here. We could just pass, go to the break. We
0: could just pass, but I, I'm going to say this. <laughs> so. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: Hold on here. I I'm gonna pass, I him for the, the sake, hold for the sake—hold on,
0: for this sake—let me delete
1: Darius' guy's name off here. You,
0: well, look, but here's the there's the point of view. You can never <laughs> don't delete him because gone. Brett needs this. No. <laughs> oh, but anyway, the thing Darius with Darius Geis Geis is not is a sleeper. He's, he's not. I didn't say. I never said the word sleeper. Sleeper. There's no such thing as sleepers. They don't exist. there's right. the internet.
1: He's not, not a late is, round value.
0: What I'm saying is, he's his value is fluctuating every, anywhere from around five. As early to round People nine pick or him ten. In round
1: five. Wow, they're really crazy.
0: Exactly, and yeah. I my point is this: if you can get him in round nine, there is no reason with the running back attrition that happens not to take a flyer because you're always looking for second uh, for secondary you running backs. We're talking about trying to go three or four deep potentially, so you have enough on your roster to keep up for bye weeks and whatnot. And you just never know. Again, it's it's been dreadful. I get it, and the only other guy out there is Steven Sims, who is another guy too that showed some flashes in December when he got some playing time. I think everybody's now wise to McLaren. And I think that is going to be something that the league's going to adjust for, and he's going to have to adjust for. And in the meantime, I think Sims Jr. is another one of these guys that might kind of be popping up on a lot of waiver wires. But if you're looking for late round picks, this is the kind of guy you might throw a dart on because in a lot of leagues, he'll be picked up in the first few weeks when he has a couple really good games because McLaren's seeing double coverage. (laughs) And I think he's got to kind of be a little proactive instead of reactive and that way you save yourself a little free agent budget. So I'm not saying go draft Darius Geis in the fifth round either, but if he's going to last to the ninth or tenth round, he's going to be basically a free player, then I'm listening.
1: Listen, Geis was 100% healthy at LSU all those years. He had two
0: really good games last year before he got hurt Uh, again. Very
1: strange. Very strange. All right, we'll be back with more fantasy sports today, baseball, football talk, and uh, Gray Albright joins us a little bit later as well. Don't go away. And welcome back. Craig and Joe here with you. We got Gray Albright from Razball.com coming up a little bit later. Uh, Joe, of course, has some interesting fantasy football conversations with Mike Taglieri, who's going to join us in the second hour of the show as well. We'll also look at fantasy football futures uh, on the FanDuel Sportsbook. So make sure you stay tuned to that as well. Well, one of the things and one of the reasons why it's so hard to invest a player this time of the year is just because you simply don't have to. And (laughs) in this particular case of Debo Samuel, I think that's a pretty good example of a guy that we didn't know a thing about potentially being injured and it ends up looking like he is going to miss some time. Now, of course, the natural reaction from everyone is he's going to be completely fine and they're completely wrong. But again, (laughs) that's always the that's always the first reaction for anything football related. Oh, he's going to be fine. Uh, There's a lot of time. He's going to be fine. But it's like, you know, I heard that about the uh, the running back from San Francisco the last couple of years, too.
0: Oh, uh, a- no, Jarek <laughs> McKinnon. Oh,
1: he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. No, he's be fine.
0: Uh, yeah, same place, so, too. Same place, yeah.
1: Tony, he's going to be fine. So, so. So, so, look, you know, long term, maybe so. Keeper leagues, maybe so. But, you know, this is a cautionary tale of a reason why if you do one of these early drafts that you just have to understand that there's a chance you could get burned. And I suppose that everybody's in that same category. If you're doing an early draft, it could be you. It could be somebody else. Maybe you did three of them. One of them you had them and two of them you didn't. But I was very much looking forward to seeing him play this season. They've given him three months to four as a timeline. And according to my timeline, that's right up until the start of the NFL season. So now I think you have to try and be optimistic. So where would San Francisco pick up if Samuel were to miss some time there? Because, um, you know, they, they sort of just, like, discarded Marquise Goodwin. And, you know, they really don't have a lot. Well, they else.
0: did They did draft Brandon Ayuk, too. That's, that's a guy that they really they liked him. He was right. very high Man. on their board.
1: Their number uh, one hey. guy going into the year.
0: Well, their number one guy in the passing game is still going to be Kittle regardless. You know? <clears throat> so that's that's the difference between the 49ers and other teams. It's you know, it's kind of very similar to the Eagles in that sense, is their number one receiving option is not a wide receiver. But this is a huge bummer for me because I'm a big Debo fan. I was a big fan of his last year, had a lot of cheap shares waiting for him. Unfortunately, got hurt. And then I, I held on to some shares, some I had to drop, but I saw him dropped in a lot of leagues. I was able to acquire him because teams just couldn't afford to roster certain guys during bye weeks. And you have that flood of that need for talent. And it's really unfortunate that here we are again. We're starting off on the wrong foot, no pun intended, although that is very funny. Uh, I will say this. Uh, It's something you have to react to. They're going to say he's going to be fine. They're going to say he's going to be there early in the season. But I think you and I both know, Craig, that It's going to be more complicated than that because it always is. And I think you do knock him down a few pegs in your rankings for the Black Book for RPV. When you start adjusting him uh, in the next weeks or so for missing some time, he's going to fall a little bit. Now, the good news is he might fall so much in some drafts as people overreact that it might be an enormous value. And it's a long season and long enough where he can contribute but I think when I was looking at him as a really cool wide receiver three to be owning, like kind of like last year, Cortland Sutton was a really cool wide receiver three for me that I kind of wanted on a lot of my teams. I want Debo this year. That's not going to happen. And I hate to say it, Craig, because I don't want to be negative, but it's starting to feel like already. Remember we talked about that snake bite of the losing the Super Bowl in a tough fashion and how historically that has not worked out for teams. And you have the extension for the coach and all these things and everything's raw, raw, everything's fine. But you start to see the layers start to peel away. And frankly, you are putting a lot on Brandon Ayuk, and you are putting a lot on the rest of the wide receivers who are still there on this depth chart, because it's not the greatest depth chart at that position. And I guess you're going to have to have more Raheem Mostert, I guess, which makes you really happy. So I guess the Mostert shares go all the way up for you.
1: Yeah, I'm going to make a lot of money off that this year. It's
0: that's probably not good for him either, to be honest. Like, all jokes aside, that's not good for him. You want to be able to move the football. I don't, I don't know
1: that it's good or bad. I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent on that one. I don't think Debo Samuel is affecting
0: I think uh, DeBo Samuel was slated to be a guy who was going to catch and 5 and, those,
1: and he's still may in 14 games, you know. Yeah, we, we, don't, yeah. we don't we don't that's we don't know the answer to that.
0: Unfortunate, unlikely. But uh, probably we'll
1: see. probably probably unlikely. I mean, you, I mean it's amazing how people are so quick to say, "Oh, he's going to be fine." <laughs> okay, <right. laughs> okay. I'm glad you know that because, you know, I it doesn't it doesn't seem like that's always the way he may be fine. I mean, that's possible,
0: but here, here's the best, well, here's like, again, this just happened as we we're you know, recording this program and it's, it's still very fresh for everybody. My best advice is knock him down. Like if you had him as a wide receiver three, you'd knock him into that four category. If he was kind of a four for you, well, then knock him back to the five. I think it knocks him back one category for now until we have more clarity, until we see him working out again. They say it's not a major issue. Okay, let's see, because we all know what happens. There's one issue, that inevitably a guy sometimes tries to force it back too soon. What happens? Another issue pops up because they try to force it back too soon. And that is always the problem. And that's why in the NFL, the margin for error is so fine. And it's so much different than baseball. I mean, when we have 162 games, but when we have only, you know, 14 games to get it right, and that's including, (laughs) you know, like playoffs and things like that, right? It's just, it's not a big window. So you can't afford to have a guy miss a month because that could really kill you. You can if you get him late, but not if you're overpaying for him. Yeah,
1: all right. Uh, A story that's really close to my heart came up yesterday and I gotta spend some time on this one because this is from the school that I attended at the University of Florida and made some pretty big headlines. And I gotta tell you, this is gonna be a hard conversation for me to have here, but uh, let's kind of break it down here a little bit. So um, many years ago, When the Florida Gators won the national championship in football, there was a player by the name of Lawrence Wright, who after they beat uh, Florida State, uh, came up and coined the phrase, if you ain't a gator, you're gator bait. And yesterday, Ken Fuchs, who was the president of the University of Florida, said that there was a a racist connotation to the term uh, gator bait, or in this case, alligator bait. According to the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia at Ferris State University, citing newspaper articles and imagery from the late 1800s, the term alligator bait was used as a racial slur against African Americans. And I was obviously not aware of that. And certainly, this was something that when I went to school uh, and I graduated from Florida, this was a very, very popular uh, term. Now, There's a second layer to the story, which is that Lawrence Wright and I have been good friends for 30 years. And Lawrence and I went to high school together. Uh, Lawrence and I did pep rallies together. We, Lawrence and I hung out at the University of Florida together, along with Fred Taylor. They used to come over my house and we used to play Madden. Um, (laughs) And when we see each other, we hug each other. At the national championship game, he spoke to the Gators, ran off the field, and it was one of the most, I mean, proudest moments that I've ever had as a Gator. I was covering the game. They all run out onto the field, led by Lawrence Wright. Lawrence stops and runs over to me as they're running out on the field. And everyone's wondering, like, who the bleep is this guy here? And it was, like, it was one of the proudest moments I've ever had as because I was, I was, like, almost embarrassed for a minute because I'm, like, wow. Like what, like, what did I even do? But I'm very close to this man. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence... Cool. Uh, is is saying basically he, and, and this is his quotes, which are, uh, he says, I'm not going for it. I created something for us. It's a college football thing. It's not a racist thing. It's about us. It's the Gator Nation, and I'm black. What about our history as the Gator Nation? We took a program from the top five to number one in the country that year. I think I've done enough, put the sweat and tears to go get my opinion on something like this. Now, look, Kent Fuchs was not the president of the University of Florida at the time that the Gators did win this championship. And I certainly am very sensitive to everything that has go- that is going on. And if this is the right call from the University of Florida and I have to go against my buddy Lawrence, then I will do that. But I got to tell you, this is one that I feel like they're reaching on here, Joe. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, the intention of what Lawrence did is not to create any sort All of right. racist overtones. And I understand that a lot of things have happened in this country that have been canceled, as you said yesterday, and eliminated because they do have racist overtones. And maybe even at the time when they were created, there was no racism involved and they just used something. But because now it has more of a racial connotation, people are eliminating it. And I understand that and I respect it. And if that's the University of Florida's decision, then so be it. But I know Lawrence very, very well. And I gotta tell you, this is probably hurting him a lot because he would, you know, he had his shirt and every—that's what right. he was known for. Um, I mean, he is, and and he's a very successful businessman here in South Florida. He has got to be hurting. He has got—I haven't reached out to him because I only saw this story uh, recently, and I'm going to. But it, this is a very tough one for me because I know that this was special for him. That it Yeah,
0: just yeah it does. And actually, I just read an article. Uh, this past week about other things that we don't know had racial connotations to them, like phrases like the peanut gallery, which is something that we all use, but I I never knew that had a racial connotation to it. It had to do with uh, people where they would put folks uh, of color in a certain section of a theater and they weren't allowed to go to uh, areas to purchase food and things, they would bring peanuts. and, and, And that's the thing. It's like, we don't know where these things all stem from, or sometimes that there even is something to relate. And I do agree to a certain point, we have to look at them individually and say, okay, is it hurting anyone? And if it's hurting a lot of people, then yeah. And if we're just looking for everything to hurt us, I don't know if that's healthy either. We can't be looking for hurts all the time. I think it's important when you look and remember who won the Civil War. I think it's okay to look and say, you know what, Uh, you know what, we we were standing up for, uh, uh, you know, fighting against slavery. It wasn't against about states' rights; it was about slavery. Let's be honest. I I think what you have to do is you have to look for the big picture things. And I think as you look around, yeah, you're going to find other things that are important that you have to you have to evolve with. But at the same time, I think you start to push too far where you're looking for a problem in every single. Pattern. And if I, I you're have looking to say, for I it, feel I, like
1: they did on this. I have to, and say it, and it. it
0: kind of feels like it. And here's and here's the other thing. Now, if this friend of yours stands up, and other people in Gator Nation stand up, black, white, and indifferent there, and all all, all the colors are there, say, I'm say, hey, no, look, this is our thing. Whatever it used to mean, it doesn't mean that now. And words do change, and phrases do change and evolve. There's a wonderful South Park episode about that that I encourage everybody to watch and have a good laugh about a certain word that has changed over the years and our our connotation of what it meant even in the 80s and 90s to what how people would use it now to describe something. And I think that's, what, that's part of what language is and part of understanding that. And yes, something might have origin somewhere, but I think there's a big difference between uh, – I don't think that phrase is hurting a lot of people. Uh, you know and I. Think but, but, we,
1: but i'll tell you, i'll tell you this look i don't know the context previous to this and maybe we'll learn that that african-american people were complaining about the usage of this term and if that and is if the they case were, it's a different and they story. weren't
0: heard then they absolutely of should course, say you know what it that sucks that case. we have to stop saying this it was part of our culture but you know what if if everything has to evolve for the better then it's one of the things i think but, it's an easy thing to get rid of and we're not going to lose sleep over it
1: i mean listen to me lawrence wright uh, is a great success story, came from a very rough neighborhood in Miami, um, came from an underprivileged household. He and I were Little League teammates, adversaries mm-hmm. against each other. Um, the leader of those teams, an African-American uh, player in in, bo- in both college and in the NFL, and someone who struggled so much, I believe, with dyslexia and ended up uh, outperforming other uh, kids at the university with a high grade point average and I got, I'm I'm hurting for him. I'm gonna I'm gonna get more context on this one, uh, you know, as as we go along here. But this is just a really really tough one for me because I know how much that meant for him. All right, we'll be back with more fantasy sports today in just a couple of minutes. Craig and Joe, back with you. Don't go away.